We're talking Justin Jefferson contract extension, a possible wildcard matchup with the Packers and so much more on Twitter Tuesday here in the Locked on Vikings podcast. You are locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thanks for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Thanks for checking us out on Amazon Fire or Roku. If you have that, maybe you just came into possession of one. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app and you can find it there. This is the last show I'm doing from the basement here <laughs> I'm in Minnesota where I'm staying right now for the holidays. Be back home in tomorrow's show. So thank you all for those of you who uh, message me sometimes missing the you like that and skull chant in the intro that will be back tomorrow. <laughs> it's Twitter Tuesday. That means I'm taking your questions. Uh, you can send me questions anytime at Luke Brown NFL or at Lockdown Vikings on Twitter at Lockdown Vikings podcast at gmail.com or uh, in the Google form in the show notes or just leave a YouTube comment. If you're watching on YouTube, I can see it there as well. So um, I guess first things first, somebody won the bunny raffle. So thank you for everybody who participated there. And uh, congratulations, Amos. We're going to try to get the jersey to you as fast as we can. Um, thank you so much, man. We, we did great on that so thank you so much for everybody who uh donated and participated it means the world to me let's get into these questions for twitter tuesday the first one i'm going to answer comes from hank lee who says how much is justin jefferson's new contract going to be worth and when do the vikings go ahead and sign it so the longer you wait the more expensive it gets justin jefferson's contract will reset the market that much is pretty guaranteed. I think the only thing that could get in the way of that would be some kind of injury that muddies the whole situation. Um, but barring that, Justin Jefferson's contract will be the biggest one in the history of wide receivers when he signed it. And then the next big wide receiver is going to sign one, like Jamar Chase will sign one that'll outdo his. And that's how the market works. It's not about trying to get make the best wide receiver have the highest contract and the second best wide receiver has the second highest contract. It's not an evaluation thing. It's it's economics. And the economics are when you sign and you are of Justin Jeff Jefferson's caliber, when you're of that like upper echelon, you know, the guy in your position, you get a market setting contract. So that's the real answer. What market setting looks like depends on when they do it. If they did it next offseason, which I would recommend and say, screw the fifth year option, let's just extend you now, um, then it would be like 31, 32 million a year over however many years you want to do that for. Um, probably three is going to be where players and teams tend to meet in the middle. Um, obviously, the team's going to want to do them for five. Justin Jefferson's probably going to want to make it shorter so he can go back to the market a lot. Like Kirk Cousins is great at that, right? Um, so that's going to be probably it uh so i would guess like 31 32 but if you wait till next year then you kind of have to eclipse all the other contracts you know that is tyree kill right now has the highest average per year at 30 mil um somebody else will have a higher average per mil 
by this time next year. So if you wait till next year, you're going to have to deal with the same thing, which is why I say do it now. It's not like you're questioning this or need to gather any more info, right? Um, but who knows? The financial plan of the Vikings is going to be very specific. There's lots of moving parts, and they probably have already decided when they want to do it. And we just need to kind of wait to find out. Um, Purple Kool-Aid asks, will we lose to the Packers wildcard round of the playoff? Will we lose to the Packers wildcard round of the playoffs? Like all media is suggesting after their big win. Um, man, anything's possible, but I don't think playing the Packers in the wildcard round is very likely for the Packers to make it to the wildcard round. They have to win out. That means beating the Vikings this weekend. If the Packers beat the Vikings this weekend, the 49ers are a win against Arizona and the Rams pretty likely away from locking up the two seed. They would control their own destiny for the two seed and they have two easy opponents. So you kind of need to parlay the Packers winning this game and the Packers beating the Lions, by the way. And I don't think that they're a better team than the Lions. Um, so you'd have to parlay those two games with a San Francisco winning out scenario or with a San Francisco not winning out scenario. So you need them, uh, you need San Francisco to at least go one and one against two eliminated teams that have packed it in. Um, and you need to then parlay that with the Packers actually winning the wild card game, the two seven wild card game that that produces. That's five games you're putting together. That is not very likely. Um, I think if the Packers do beat the Vikings this weekend, the Vikings just are going to be the three seed and play someone else in the world where the Packers do make uh, the playoffs at the seven seed. Speaking of all that, Shadow says, how important do you think the two seed is over health? O'Connell seems to not care about seeding as much. I mean, he did win a Super Bowl as the four seed, so maybe he's right. But I feel like our home field advantage might be crucial to stopping the 49ers. Yeah, well, the Rams playoff race, I think about it a lot because of how they got to play the NFC Championship at home as the four seed because the six seed was the other team, right? And you had, you know, the, the Packers took an upset as the one seed. Um, the, who was it? The bucks that took an upset as the two seed against the Rams. So the Rams ha did have to go on the road once and then they got to go back home. Um, yeah, it, it was a, an interesting path, but to me, the scenario where the Vikings play the 49ers, while it's probably the most likely scenario that includes both of those teams winning wildcard games, or it is. If, if both those teams win wildcard games, it's almost certainly going to be. Home or away is all that's at stake. And that is just one scenario, right? There are scenarios where the 49ers fall apart and lose to like the Giants in the sixth seed or whatever. Or there are scenarios where it's the Lions in the seventh seed and they are plucky and they beat the 49ers or they beat the Vikings, right? Like there's all kinds of scenarios where it just doesn't come up. I think being healthy for the playoffs and not going into a two, seven or a three, six wildcard game, not banged up, like going into that healthy is way more important than seating. Not that seating isn't important, like being home in that scenario absolutely matters at sure. Um, but that would be one of the games in the particular, in, in the possible Super Bowl run. And it's just home or away for it. Right. Um, I think, Injury comes up a lot more often in the possible outcomes of the Vikings. So I kind of agree with them in uh, that seeding is less important than health. Not unimportant, not nothing, but I would probably prioritize health as well if I were in charge. Wade French calls me out, says, you told us to ask you about this if you didn't get to it in the recap episode. So I'm doing my duty. What was up with the clock management on the last drive of the Giants game? OK, yep, I totally screwed that up. I said I would get to it and then I didn't get to it. And like three people were like, hey, you should get to it. So <laughs> here is what I understand about it. And I actually looked at other games for this and for an article that I was doing at zone coverage to be like, okay, they seem to do this a lot right now. I think they overdid it in this game a little bit. 
but the Giants had um, or the Vikings had the ball 201 with one timeout and the Giants had two timeouts. So 201, you had the two minute warning and both of their timeouts to get through. If you want to do the thing where you're kicking the field goal as the clock hits zero, right? They took off a lot of time and they let it all tick and they let it all tick on the other side of midfield. Here's my theory. And maybe I'm giving way too much credit to the Vikings here, but here's my theory. I think if you're on the other side of midfield, the other team is not going to use their timeouts to stop the clock because they think you need the time more than they need the time. So the Vikings managed to get a lot of time to run off the clock. And Brian Dable lost that game with two timeouts in his pocket. He used one of them to ice the kicker, but whatever. Um, Two timeouts not used to stop the clock, and the Vikings took two minutes off to go kick that field goal. Now, they did not get close enough. That's the elephant in the room here. Um, Taking a sack certainly hurts that, and having to use your own timeout to do that sack. And taking that sack after taking all that clock off is, I think, where my issue comes in, where you should probably let yourself some room. If, if there's a minute left, you don't have to take the time out, right? You can get up to the line. You can use some time. You can get a play and see if you can't do the tunnel screen thing that then you did after that sack to uh, get closer to field goal range, then call the timeout. And then you've got, you know, 20 seconds with no timeouts or whatever. And you're on the cusp of field goal range. You don't need to make Greg Joseph kick a 61 yarder. So that's where I'm at on the clock management thing. But I do think, but I, I do see this as a pattern. This is the way the Vikings have, played these end game scenarios if you look at some of these one score games the opportunity the other team got washington had like 12 seconds no timeout san francisco had like 25 seconds no timeouts um i I think detroit had another like 45 seconds no timeouts needed a touchdown like there has not really been a scenario where they had like a reasonable drive to go win the game with you know the, the the game has never been in the defense's hands in that way with the other team having like timeouts and like without the defense having a huge advantage of not having to cover the middle of the field or whatever, because they don't have any timeouts. They've done a really good job of putting their team in positions where they have the high ground, so to speak. And I think that's a clock management thing. I think that's a situational masters thing. And it has been consistent over all of these one score wins. I I really do think that that matters. Um, Look, we're going to talk a little bit later about um, like draft needs and stuff. But I know you guys love to think that way because you're, you're we're in a playoff push and you're asking me about draft needs and, and contract extensions and stuff. Well, why don't you just do it? All right. Go to Ultimate Pro Football GM. It's a new app. We've got a locked on league that we're doing this on. We're all kind of trying to get our teams to the Super Bowl and all that. Um, but it is like franchise management. You got to do drafts. You got to do contracts. You got to fill out your roster and uh, do the whole thing. It's, it's really fun. Um, you also can get a 100% free boost. If you go enter promo code locked on in the game shop at ultimate pro football GM, it is a great time, very like cerebral and it totally scratches that off season itch you get when you just want to go, Hmm, what do we do with the cap? Okay. Cut this guy, sign that guy, trade that guy. Here's my mock draft. We're going to like all of that totally scratches that itch and you can play it offline uh, and wherever you want. And it is a free app. There's some in-app purchases, but you can play the game for free. So once again, that is Ultimate Pro Football GM. Just search it out in the App Store and use promo code Locked On in the Game Shop. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast. But first, thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. And you can also check me out on Patreon a little bit later in the week. I'll be breaking down some of the tape from this Giants game. Uh, next question I'm going to answer says, uh, comes from Chris who says, would you rest JJ? 
either of the next two games if that would make it impossible for him to hit the receiving record. Okay, so I'm super torn on this. As a fan, I care deeply about Justin Jefferson hitting 2,000 yards. I think it'd be unbelievably cool to have the first wide receiver that ever did that. But also, I understand that that has no impact on the Vikings Super Bowl odds, and the Super Bowl is, of course, the end-all, be-all final goal, right? I don't think it matters, though, what the coaches do. I don't think Justin Jefferson is going to let himself sit. I I think um, O'Connell already said he's getting you know, he's like, Jefferson's like trying to fight me. I'm trying to give him rest. And Jefferson doesn't want to go. I mean, he's, he's just that kind of player, right? The, the greats always are um, that kind of guy that you, you can't get him to go out. I, I think of Jim Marshall who like shot himself in the stomach once and played like, you just, you can't keep him out. He had ulcers in the hospital. He's like, nah, I, I got this coach. Um, Jefferson played all 72 snaps against the giants. I don't think the, I don't think you can stop him. Like, I, and that's not like a, a knock on O'Connell's coaching or anything like that. I, just, I don't think it's possible. So I don't think it matters what I would say. Um, I guess the the right answer here is, of course, no, rest him. Make sure he's okay for the playoffs. Rest him the proper amount. You don't want him getting rusty, right? Um, but selfishly, I deeply, I kind of don't want him to just to see him get 2,000 yards because I think he could if he played. He's certainly on pace to. Uh, Ethan Elbers says, I know he has his flaws, but do you think Duke Shelley has the potential to become a regular starter for the Vikings? Huh. No, uh, potential. I mean, he's too small, I think, to be a regular starter. I think the contested catch, he will have contested catch issues. If he were a regular starter on the outside, teams would start throwing high pointed balls at him and taking advantage of his height. He's built like a slot corner. Bears played him like a slot corner. He wasn't great in the slot. He got cut and he's better as an outside corner. But I think that's always going to put a bit of a limitation. I like him as a backup but he's too inconsistent to start right now. And I don't know what if, if he maybe got a good PFF grade or something. I thought he got shredded in the Giants game. I'll check the tape. I, I'll take it back. I haven't watched the tape yet, so I'll take it back if I see that on the tape. But I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot of times that he was getting killed to the inside in man coverage. And if it, I, I struggle to see a world where that isn't just him getting beat when they're in cover one, like when you're in cover one, you got to be responsible for your guy, right? So I don't think he had that great a game, but here's where where I'm at with Duke is I think he comes back to camp and I think he has a very easy path to making the roster. Um, Beyond that, you know, you get to be depth, you get to be special teams beyond that. I think you need to see him grow three inches or become a way better like Antoine Winfield style corner. Um, That's a tough ask. Sports guy asks, is the play calling on offense or defense helping the Vikings be in so many close games? Like, does the defense get super soft when they go up to scores, for example? Or do the Vikings have so many one position wins because they're the Vikings and just Viking it up? I think it's just they're the Vikings, man, and they're Viking it up. They're just the rule of the Vikings. You don't get to know if they're good or not. Um, the, the answer is is inconsistency. They are a very good team when they are all playing at their best, when they're doing the best they can do, right? Um, they do not put that together for 60 minutes it's something kevin o'connell talks about on the podium every week that they can't put 60 minutes of their best football together and that lets teams hang around it it leads to you know these huge deficits and now they have to make a comeback um i do think that the vikings have an, an, an like attack 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 mentality that helps them facilitate those comebacks and i think the defense is just kind of bad sometimes <laughs> just to have these moments where they give up you know three four straight scores and they can let another team back in um, I think it's more of a consistency thing than it is like some schematic flaw that only shows up when the score differential is large. 
Uh, ben from MN says, do we continue to start Duke Shelley or do we go back to Dantzler when he's healthy? Um, <laughs> to kind of order that awkwardly. Um, Dantzler. I think Dantzler is a little more consistent. And while it is frustrating that he will, he'll give up some of the same man coverage things Duke Shelley did and he'll play a little bit further back and stuff. Um, I, I think I'd be a lot more scared of Duke Shelley getting beat deep and um you know just not having the athleticism to run and I, i'm i'm less scared of that with with dantzler and i think dantzler's just got better height and better physicality despite his size i would go back to dantzler but it might not matter because dantzler's angle injury seems pretty bad and he's kind of he's, he's the needle right he's a skinny guy greg asks all the stats including advanced stats like epa say kirk was better last year than this year but you were extremely sour on him by the end of last year you're pretty high on him this year what is he doing better in your eyes and why isn't it captured by epa so this is a question that that i've like thought about a ton this year right because it's true it's like statistically he's doing worse but i look at him and i go, i like stuff better a lot this year you're right i was very sour on him last year and i i'm way higher on him this year um, maybe I'm overreacting to stuff that like I asked for and wanted to see. But I think what EPA doesn't capture is what was the opportunity on that play, right? EPA, DVOA, those kind of stats, very predictive, great stuff. But they're not trying to figure out um, how well a DVOA, DVOA kind of does because they'll look like if you're at a second and 15 and teams don't tend to get a lot on second and 15 and you don't get a lot, they don't punish you as hard because it's like, well, second and 15 is hard but they're just doing it on that broad level of down and distance. What I, what I look at when I'm watching tape is, Hey, how hard was it to make a play out of this play? Right. And last year there were a lot of plays where I went, man, it seems really reasonable to have asked him to, you know, progress on from this or to throw a different ball there or something like that. And here I find myself saying that a lot less and on the contrary saying, man, that was a hard play. He had to do a lot to make that play. And that play might be a six yard pass on first and 10, right? But the degree of difficulty stuff, you know, EPA will look at that and go, meh, I'll look at that and see if he had to work really hard because there was pressure and it was a hard pass or something like that. Um, I, like the KJ Osborne touchdown that sparked the comeback against the Colts, I think is a great example of this. EPA does not look at that play very favorably. They had first and goal. Most of that drive was already done and cashing it in EPA kind of doesn't really count that as like the touchdown play. Um, you already have a lot of expected points when you're at the two yard line. But for me, I saw a ball at the pylon from the other hash mark with a corner driving on it. That is a really difficult throw. And I love that EPOA, DVOA, those things aren't going to love it as much because scoring a touchdown from the two yard line in general isn't hard. That ball is. And that's kind of, I think, where I differ from it. Um, but they're also they're not looking like those stats aren't trying to do what I'm trying to do. Right. That's not them being bad. There's they have a different mission and you have to understand what the stats trying to tell you um, beyond just good, bad spectrum. I think that's a, that, that two dimensional kind of analysis gets stuck in our heads. And I'm trying to do something a little more 3D if, if you're with me on that. Analytics guy who probably hated that. Said, Can you do a Tonga versus Armin Watts breakdown slash mention at some point? The irony is too rich. Yeah, the Vikings kind of traded Tonga for Watts through waivers and practice squad pickups and stuff. Um, comparing them is really tough because Watts is a quickster. He's not like a run stuffing nose type like Tonga is. Um, and in fact, he's pretty bad at run defense, but he's not made for run defense. He's made to be quick off the line, beat a guard one on one and get pressure and get get into the backfield. Tonga is meant to push the pocket to, to push guys back. And he's meant to fit the run. 
And so this is a different job. I'm very, very happy with Tonga, though. And somebody else asked, like, I think we'll talk about Tonga a little more later because somebody else asked, like, hey, Tonga's got like really good stats. Is he actually playing that well? Yeah, he's killing it. It's a small sample. So the stats are going to look super skewed, especially efficiency stats. Um, but he's killing it. Like, no notes. One note. There's sometimes <laughs> there's uh he he will like he has had some embarrassing losses where he'll get like pancaked or he'll get super washed out or something um but I, the highs are more than worth it i'm really happy with uh Kyrie's tonga i'm also really happy with some of my prize picks picks this week um prize picks is daily fantasy made easy it's dfs the way god meant it to be screw this uh lineup set a whole lineup go in with ten thousand people you're basically buying a lottery ticket uh none of that no 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 how about you just pick a few of your favorite players so you can pick you're, you're not saying man i've got this great feeling about justin jefferson i'm gonna put him in a dfs lineup and then you gotta pick seven other players no how about i got a really good shot feeling about justin jefferson i'm just gonna go with me versus the house and I'm going to go on prize picks and uh, see if I can't make a project, see if I can't beat their projections. It's just a more than less than game. Um, prize picks makes it super easy to get in there, pick two to five of your favorite players. You can win up to 10 times your money on entry if you nail it. And you can get a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks if you enter promo code locked on at the prize picks app. That's promo code locked on for a 100% match up to 100 bucks. Put in 100 bucks, get 100 back. Put in 50, get 50, etc. at prizepicks.com or on the Prize Picks app. Few more questions. I am definitely not getting to all of yours on uh, this episode of Twitter Tuesday, so I apologize if I didn't get to it. You can feel free to try to ask again next week. Um but moving on, Skull Actuary asks for the wide receiver scores on 538. How much do you think each section is dependent on scheme, coaching, and talent surroundings? Top guys make sense, but no receiver is ever in a silo on a play. Okay, so I I don't really I'm, I don't look at these ever, so I'm not too familiar with them or anything like that. But I see things like yards per route, um, which is a good stat. Um, but then they have these ratings that look like Madden ratings, kind of. How good are you at getting open? How good are you at catching? How good are you at generating yards after the catch? Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of that is scheme and leverage, right? I am going to guess that 538, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's at 538 or knows the ESPN analytics that go into this, knows the guts of it, my guess would be, I would be curious to see if you have, let's say two wide receivers are running a dig route in route intermediate depth. Um, one goes against a corner with outside leverage. One goes against a corner with inside leverage. The the corner with inside leverage is always going to be in better position to cover that than the corner corner with outside leverage. Who's basically just behind the eight ball. The second that thing breaks, I wonder if ESPN analytics are accounting for something like that, which is a factor on every single play. I mean, that's huge um, for stuff like open score. I don't know, but that would be my first question that I would ask of something like that. Um, I don't know the, the attempt to boil a wide receiver down into like a quantifiable number on a, on that two dimensional scale of good to bad is never going to be something all that interesting to me. Um, I, I like the idea of, of trying to break someone down into traits saying, Oh, they're better after the catch than they are at catching the ball. They got a drops issue, but they're good at getting open that kind of thing. Um, I like that, but I'd rather just hear that than have this obsession with having to like quantify all of it just tell me this guy has a drops issue and, and we'll talk about his drops issue you know that's the way i prefer to consume analysis so i'm never going to be that interested in the 538 thing but y'all go ham if, if that's what you like 
The Mad says, what's going on with the Niners defensive front where they shift three men to one side of the center and keep one DE on the other? Saw the Giants do the same thing on Saturday. Um, so what you're describing, I know it as a boss front, be big on same side, B-O-S-S. Um, that is a great trick for if you want to attack one tackle. Let's say you've got Blake Brandell in there, right? You want to attack um, the backup tackle. You would put Nick Bosa up against Blake Brandell, and you want to get that one-on-one, you put all the other players on the other side. That's what a uh, boss can do. It can also really, especially against zone runs, zone runs run to where there is space, right? If you're a zone running team, there's no real concept of we're running up the gut this time and we'll do an outside run next time. You're not, it's not really up to you as the coach. It's a, it's a running back's decision and he's reading leverage and defense and how are the blocks going. So big on same side, if you think about it, that leaves this huge space like between you know, the center and the tackle, like the center guard and tackle are all uncovered, which can do a really good job of confusing zone rules. Do I climb up? What am I supposed to do? Um, And also it can make those runs really predictable. You know where that thing's going and your linebackers know where that thing's going and they can play accordingly. Those are the advantages of the boss front. Of course, the risk is you're leaving a huge space. The offense might kill you on it. So you got to have linebackers that can do it. But against the pass, it can be worth it because it gives you this great one-on-one if you want it. That's what I understand about uh, those boss fronts. But that's, um, you see that a lot. You saw, I want to say the Bengals did a lot last year when they, uh, on their Super Bowl run. Um, the red and purple says so many of Kirk's touchdowns going back years are coming on third down. Any particular reason for this? I could guess some, um, super good chance that that's just a coincidence, but third down dynamics do change a little bit, although usually in favor of the defense. So maybe they're happening in spite of certain stuff, but you're going to see more blitzes. You're going to see more exotic rushes. Um, you're going to see, corners play stuff differently a little bit and maybe he's just really been good late in his career at countering the blitz which has been a problem for the vikings offense this year although it's more of an early season problem honestly um so it could be something like that but if i had to venture i guess i would probably say that it's a coincidence uh Skullman says, am I a boomer for thinking that they should have kept pounding the ball after the P2 interception? The four straight passes and turnover on down seemed too new school and handed them three points. Um, I, I'd have to look at the actual passes that they called. That's when it comes to like run pass stuff. I'm looking at, okay, what were the runs though? What were the passes? Because pass plays, if there's something like mesh, that's a really easy completion. If something like stick or slant, that's a really easy completion. Screens theoretically are supposed to be really easy completions. Um, you know, those, if, if your goal is to just keep the clock moving, you can call passes that are conserved. So just saying pass, I don't, and I don't know off the top of my head what those plays were. So I'll have to look at that and see if I agree with you. Um, I, I they were running the ball well in this game though. And maybe they, you could say that they underused it if, if you wanted to go that way. Jeremy says the problem is JJ2K and that should be the priority. Um, <laughs> Jeremy asks rank the Vikings draft needs as of right now and related which developmental players would you like to see get more snaps in the final two games? Um, second question first, it's Asamoa and I think he's going to get there. Magic Skullboss asks why is Asamoa not starting over Hicks? And my answer to that is he's getting there. Um, I, that's not something you do. You don't swap him out like it's a Madden roster. It's you'll, you'll phase him in slowly. He'll, he'll play 10 snaps and then he'll play two drives and then he'll play four drives and then it's 50 and then it's, he's getting a little more. Um, you'll phase that in and I think he'll get phased in more in the end of the season. And I, I'll tell you right now, I am going to predict that Jordan Hicks becomes a cap casualty and Brian Osamoa takes his start for next year because I'm pretty happy with what he's done. 
Um, of course, the big play. But if you watch my Patreon, I had a I was gushing about him in the Colts game. Um, but the so I'd love to see more of him. Back to the draft needs corner uh, and then corner and then corner. <laughs> they have three corners under contract. Cam Dantzler, Andrew Booth, and a Caleb Evans. Two of them not good enough to start as of this moment. Uh, they need corners. They need corners so bad that Patrick Peterson could come back and help that problem a little bit, but they have three under contract in 2023. They need corners. So they need to bring Patrick Peterson back and draft two corners. Um, it's, it's a dire, dire need. Uh, after that, I'll never say no to a wide receiver. Um, you could maybe, uh, they, they're going to need a center. That's going to be a good mid round thing. Um, because Garrett Bradbury is not under contract and I don't think he's going to come back. I think they're going to try to draft one. Um, I don't know. I could see him coming back on like a one-year deal or something, but I, I think the cake was kind of baked coming into this season and as much better as he's been, I think he would ha- have had to be like a first team pro bowl kind of guy. Um, trying to think through the rest of the roster could always use more outside linebacker edge types guys that actually were built for this scheme uh, rather than, you know, Daniel Hunter, who's like transitioning. Um, and I think in a scheme like this too, you can always use some big guys some t- some Kyrie's Tonga types. Um, but I think it's, it's really corner and then a huge gulf. And then it's like, oh yeah. And then maybe a receiver in a center. <laughs> that's, that's where I feel like right now. Um, gosh, there's so many fun questions. I wish I could have gotten to, I'll do one of them. Skull Squatch asks, what do you think Kirk Cousins' biggest vice is? Okay, there's two possible answers to this. One, it's like something way out of left field that you would never see coming, like like meth, like just absolutely insane. Like, oh my goodness, I had no idea this dude was gacked out constantly. Um, or it's the most, it's like on Saturday nights, Kirk Cousins likes to have an extra Oreo before bed like something so hilariously innocent you would think a stand-up comic wrote it (laughs) that's it's it's there's no in between it's either the most extreme thing like kirk cousins loves to uh, like kill people and eat their teeth or kirk cousins uh likes two maraschino cherries on his sundays like that's it (laughs) um I love these. Uh, tomorrow, I'll get into some tape stuff. I'm going to be on a plane, so I'll have a lot of time to watch tape. Hopefully, I'll be able to get some work done there. Um, and we will continue on. Then we'll talk a little bit about the Packers. Got Peter Bukowski coming on on Thursday. I, a lot of you are angry about how mean I wasn't to him week one. We'll try to rectify that. We'll see how we do. Uh, Friday is, of course, bold predictions and all of that stuff, bets and all that. So we'll get into that as well. See you all for all of that. And as always, skull.